Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. even going to grace any of your complaints with airtime even though i'm doing that right now look you know we said at the top of part one which was what two months ago now Raj, was it is that how long it's been already i don't know maybe we said we pod when we want but you know here we are listen or don't you know come on um how you doing mate yeah not too bad just uh busy cracking on doing grown-up shit are you writing another book yet not yet, no. Um, I'm still not fully mentally recovered from <laughs> doing the last one. Uh, but I'll, you know, eventually, hopefully. I genuinely don't know how you did that. Not as in, like, I'm doubting your ability to do that. Um yeah. was no no casual side-eye there from me. You know, you know, I'd be much more upfront about that sort of thing nowadays. Yeah. But uh, the actual process to do that, mate, is... Uh, pretty mammoth i don't think i've congratulated you probably enough on that so yeah, i'll do it now a very lonely time where you sit alone <laughs> for, for, for Mate, you sounded so dejected as you actually said that as uh, well no it's it, it's not a, a fun thing to do uh it's one of those things when you do it the first time you don't really know what you're getting yourself in for when you do it a second time then i think you can sort of um prepare yourself for for what you need to do and perhaps organize yourself a bit better for or how are you going to attack it? Um, is it is it self-flagellation, isn't it? That that you know, there's like funny sects of monks do when they yeah, like whip their own backs and shit, and yeah, tie spikes onto their thigh and shit. It's kind of, kind of like the writer's equivalent of that, right? Yeah, especially with sort of the uh, the amount of time that we give ourselves to do it as well, because um, town was so busy as a club and. We wanted to get it out before Christmas, but the after they'd been promoted. So it was essentially, you know, all done within six months. When if you ever actually have a look at how most people books are, they work on them for about two years and then they come out a year after that. So it's a three year turnaround. And I did the entire thing in, you know, a, what a quarter of that time, if not less. Um, so uh, yeah, that was uh. It was something, but like I say, you you live and you learn and you you put that into practice for the next time you have a crack at it. Something spurs this time, then, mate. Yeah. Uh we'll see. There's so many Tottenham things um, that I don't know. I might do something a bit more general. There's an idea I've had that I wanted to do first, actually, but I never had the chance to. And I'll see if I can do that again. But I'll, I'll keep that to myself just in case that I don't do that <laughs> and it's somewhere else. I'll happily let you write a book about your time spent podcasting with the, uh, you know, infamous Tetrunk. You know, that'll you, be done under a pseudonym. That, it'll be. But I, I've got to get rid of the it's NDA. It's the story everybody you, wants you to hear. Me, yeah. 
it's a bit like working with Donald Trump. I feel like Stormy Daniels. I've got all these stories about you, but I'm not allowed to tell anyone. There are literal, like not literal, but you know, kind of semi-literal NDAs as well, aren't there? On some discussions we've had, so I think they're mutual, though. So yeah, fair. Um, Segwaying from Huddersfield because I think I think we've got a nice one here because I saw you talking about this on Twitter the other day. Let's let's just dive in quickly before we do some questions about. Yeah the ticket price increase at Spurs. Yeah, yeah. Because it's something that, you know, um there's a, there's a there's a lot of conversation about. Mm-hmm. Um and I'd be interested to hear your perspective first sort of from the from the town thing basically in the fact that, you know, from what I understand the season tickets there are a fr- an absolute fraction of the price that they are for Spurs. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I paid um, for last season. It was two hundred for this season. It's going to be two hundred and fifty, and that's sort of for a seat bang on halfway, about five six rows up. So you, there's really no better seat in the house from where we sit. Um, it's a tidy ground as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic. It's, it's the same architects that made um, made the John Smiths are the ones that are doing the new White Hart Lane. Um, it, it, well, John Smith was actually their first ever project, so it's, you know it's, it stands them in good stead. It's comparing apples and oranges, to be perfectly frank, because the, the yeah. two sides of the clubs, two sides of the places, and the the sort of um, the socio-economic reality of the two clubs and the two fan bases are completely different. Um, but when I go and watch one team for two hundred and fifty quid, and then I support another, which you know is selling tickets for two thousand two hundred, um, it just sort of it beggars belief that they're playing the same sport, um, in the same division. Um, but it's it's one of those things where it's where you see the disparity between the literature that that Spurs have put out and the promises and the the noises they'd made previously. Perhaps it's us us being naive. But I always thought the intention was that they're going to build this new stadium, they're going to have so many more seats to sell, and they're going to have so many more corporate opportunities within that and outside that with naming rights and with you know NFL tie-ins and shirt sponsors that they've got now and um, you know kit manufacturers and all that shit and the fact they're going to have all these people in their cheese and wine bars and stuff that they, they just couldn't have previously that that was going to be able to subsidise affordable ticketing for your average fan but they did almost frame it that way right they if, did, they like, did correct me if I'm wrong I'm pretty sure they did frame it that way almost entirely they did uh, yeah and in fact the, the way they actually released their season ticket prices they did it in exactly the same manner. So they've actually done it really cleverly where they can give headline prices that seem really affordable and, you know, cheaper than Arsenal and Chelsea, so-and-so many seats at this price point under £1,000, you know, 795 a year, £800-odd you know, a year. Um, and they've done it so that they can, you know, the headlines and the clickbait are there for that but as soon as you scratch the surface and actually look at it and and hear real people tell the difference and disparity between what they paid for their exactly the same seat at White Hart Lane and the fifty percent extra they're suddenly walking up with when they've you know been asked to pay for the same one here, um, it's you know a joke um, and it's one of those things where when I was tweeting about it and stuff, I I always come from this you know perspective of you know fans being first and I know people don't like that sometimes because um they think it's a bit 
uh, I don't know, leftist or snowflakey, I think, in today's parlance is perhaps what they'd say. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, that's my outlook on, on the world and, you know, Tottenham are in that. Um, and they're a big, you know, major part of that for us. Um, and it, it was, it felt a bit of a letdown that, you know, this thing that we thought they were going to be able to do and, and they seem to be wrecking the right noises to do. And to be honest, building on the goodwill of the new stadium and, you know, the goodwill that is just around the club at the minute for the fact that they're actually good. Um, and it's the first time in many people's lifetimes they've been just this good. It would have been a perfect opportunity to, you know, ramp that up and, you know, be a fantastic PR win and, you know, another off-field win for them. Um, but they've See, shot themselves in yeah. the foot. Go on, mate, carry on, yeah. No, no, no you, you crack on. I was just going to say, because this is... It... This is kind of what it is to me, right? If I, if I, you know, we don't make any secret of, you know, politics and such on this. And I know we sort of joke about it and it will piss people off here and there. And I mean, even if I, even if I take that kind of step away from it, because what you touched on there was, is, is very true with the Huddersfield issue is it's apples and oranges. And there are, there's a, a lot of factors to take into account there. And I think there's been kind of like, you know, guilty parties in some part. Um, I saw like uh, Daniel story. He did, he wrote an actually a really interesting piece about the, the price of season tickets across different clubs and how it can attract a new generation of fans. And he was kind of talking about, um, Spurs' season ticket stuff and was comparing them with a few clubs, which I saw where he was going. I'm, I'm not, like, calling him out or having a dig or anything, but at the same time, like you say, I think there's a confluence of factors there that make these kind of things a bit different. The fact that Spurs are sort of aspiring to punch at a level with a lot of clubs around them who are still, you know, I think Arsenal still have double the wage bill that we do, for example. Yeah. Um, Liverpool have more than double the wage bill we do. Chelsea, more than double the wage bill we do. I think Chelsea's is close to triple the wage bill of ours. So, and it it really shows you kind of the, again, it should anyway, for anybody that's got any doubt, it should show you the sort of the miraculous job that Spurs are doing and particularly Pochettino is doing with this current crop of players, but it's a bit of a segue. Um, And I do understand that we need to maximise capital if we want to stay at this type of playing field yeah. however the, the the problem for me where this all starts to fall down is that i believe like it, it's been sort of bandied about that like match day revenue now is generally speaking less than 10 percent of the club's operating profit of any football clubs yeah with so the saying, um television yeah. money being as big as it is it's it's not the be all and end all that it was when arsenal moved stadium for example it, it, Exactly. And an example of this in in actual practice is Juventus moving into a new stadium that was actually smaller than their old stadium because they noticed it was more important to have an atmospheric filled stadium for every single game as opposed to a massive stadium that's going to be half empty for games that don't really that don't matter in their previous stadium was state owned as well. So they actually own this one as theirs. So they get more out of less seats as well, which is one of the other thing thoughts behind it. Because um, a lot of the stadiums in Italy work like that. That's why they have so many ground shares, is that very few of the, the teams actually own their own ground. That's interesting. I didn't actually know that. Yeah, that's, that's uh... you know, AC Milan are looking at sort of building their own version of what Juventus have and, and what have you, because okay. San Siro is a you know, a state-owned stadium, the, half the money goes to the 
the the council and stuff. That's actually how it works mm-hmm. in Huddersfield. They've got a, a three way split on the stadium between the football club, the rugby club, and the council. Um, it's interesting, you know, the the point you make about Daniel Starry's piece and and the next generation of fans, because that's one thing I've I've noticed more than anything else with Huddersfield specifically, because. I grew up in the town until I was sort of five years old and, and Huddersfield just weren't on my radar. And it's not just because my dad was a, a Tottenham fan. I, you know, I went to school and everything, but the kids there all supported Man United, Liverpool, City, all yeah. the big teams. It wasn't as if this football team had any sort of, um, you know, traction with kids. Mm. Um, and... They were they weren't bad at the time. They were you know a top level championship team when I was growing up. Um, so the, there's you know by rights they could have grabbed the attention of some of us, but they just it, they never did. Uh, but these days because they've lowered the season ticket prices of kids so much and adults and made it affordable, they have secured that next level of of, of supportership and that next generation. Because you walk through the town now and kids have all got their Town shirts on that you, you hardly ever see the big clubs. Of course, you still see the odd Man United shirt, the odd Chelsea and Arsenal, what have you, because they're everywhere. Um, but they've got more town than there ever has been before. There's more pride in the team. There's more access to the team. And that ground, to be honest with you, a couple, even a couple of seasons ago, when David Wagner was first hired, because he's only been there. This is only his second full season in charge. Um, that it was, you know, sort of a, a third to a half, a, you know empty most games um but when they lowered the season ticket price and sort of tied it in with them playing better football that's what helped generate the current level of atmosphere well, and enthusiasm this this is it right this is where people would jump in and say well it helps now that they're in the premier league that the attendance is up and i i do take that to a degree they, i don't However, think they would be in the premier league had they yeah. not dropped the season ticket prices but this is it. This is what you've got to see, is it? Like, and you, you touched on it previously as well in relation to Spurs, is that I think it's a, it's a very myopic view that the club are taking, that Spurs are flying at the moment. But all it takes is a couple of missteps. All it takes is Pochettino going to PSG and taking Kane with him, you know? <laughs> and we could conceivably be Spurs again, yeah. you know? It, it, I like, mean, right now, we've, by we've right, football, football's—it's—it's it's a house of cards built on sand, right? Yeah, As we've seen with Manchester United, you know, Fergie left, and even a, even a, an empire such as United has pretty much crumbled now. Yeah, right. I know that sounds ridiculous to say they're sitting second in the league and they they won the Europa League last year, but come on, this is this is Man United that won however many doubles, Champions Leagues, the league, the FA Cup, mm. e- everything for two decades solid and it it almost overnight fell to pieces so the fact that they're a tourist attraction now well yeah that people can't see that that could happen to spurs so much easier is is it's astonishing to me and this now is the chance to capitalize on the fact that we are successful get in that new generation of fans because what i will say is generally speaking as a 33 year old man i still look around when i go to spurs games and i'm probably one of the younger people there still <laughs> I, I honestly feel that on average i'm still one of the younger people there that's and as I, much to do with pricing as anything else though because yeah. the average age and demographic of people who go to football now are people who only go for one game because they're in london on holiday or they're sort of 40 year old white men at their youngest because they're the people with the most disposable money. I mean, me and you were joking about it in the text the other day that the only people who can 
afford to go to Spurs week in, week out, or divorce dads. But that, they're the only people with that sort of disposable money. Um, you know, to be able to pay two and a half grand for something. There, there are people I know who've got very, very good jobs and, you know, very high, well-paying roles, but they're going to have to think twice about taking up their same seat again because the price hikes, that's just that much. Um, and, you know, Spurs are in a, a, a very... F- lucky position right now where I imagine they could they could take the piss and, and sell their season tickets for five grand a pop in that stadium right now and they'd probably sell it out because they're that much of an attraction. But you're right, as soon as the that sort of goes away, then they become Tottenham again and and you may have lost people to lesser teams because they can actually afford to go and have a relationship with them than the ones you could have got in now. So it's it's just, it's one of those things where it's it's not a unexpected, um, but it's disappointing. Um, and I think I highlight the work the Trust have done at this point as well, because yeah. they've been fantastic. Uh, yeah, the, the, the statements and everything they've put out have all been, you know, pitched and um, written perfectly, I think. Um, and... With so many people that sort of got back to me and what have you saying, oh, we expected it to be, you know, this much money. I'm happy to pay more because, you know, I've my seat, my seat's gone up 20%, but the stadium's gone up 50%, so I'm paying for what I've got and what have you. That's nice for them, and I'm really happy for them that they've got the money to do it, but they're in a minority there. And, uh, it's it, you know, it, it sometimes helps to have a a wider perception of things to, to, you know, get your head around it rather than just sort of seeing it from your own personal view sometimes. Yeah. And I, I do think as well, something I sort of do hasten to jump in on is that I don't, I tweeted something to this effect the other day as well. I don't like, I don't fully aim all the vitriol at Spurs here. I don't think this is Spurs who are an aberration or in any sense, like I think this is a football wide. This is a oh, uh, of course it is. A, a problem with football yeah. and the culture and business, I guess, in general at the moment. Um, Tottenham I, had I mean, the I, chance to be better than that, though. I think that's the that's the point, and the fact that they they decided to if you you know if you can't beat them, then join them rather than doing their own thing. I think is the is the disappointing part of it. And again, maybe we're just being naive and idealist and that doesn't sound, you know, entirely away from RMO, but, um, you know, you feel the way you feel at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, just to, it's just to reiterate the point that I think that, you know, for for all the kind of fancy sponsors, fancy, all the fancy sponsors and all <laughs> that, that they, they get in, all these big shots from the NFL, from America. But do you know what I mean? All these multi-million pound sponsorship deals that we have with far-flung kind of insurance companies that nobody's ever heard of and hedge funds and, you know, toilet duck or whoever else we slap on the stadium. Yep. But what, and I know this is kind of soppy rhetoric, but what makes Spurs and what makes a club and what makes the sport is the people that go and attend the matches and are there constantly and have a firm connection with the club. Mm. And if you start losing that connection to actual people, what's the point? What's even the point of 
any of this because then all you're doing is having a stadium that's full of people who work for these brands that sponsor the club that don't care either way they don't care either way if they're there they're there to watch harry kane score a goal but they don't really care if harry kane scores or not on the level that they're affiliated with spurs it's just to say on their instagram went and saw that harry kane lad today is part of my extracurricular thing I get with my cushy job you know it's and it's that's that's kind of what a lot of the sport is becoming um and it's just it's it's a shame and I I get it it's a reality it's it's a it's a modern reality of of a lot of things um that the kind of joy has been sucked out of it by money but you know hopefully we will persevere and uh see the see the levy break somehow and hopefully a lot of the i mean it's not to sound too defeatist i think the trust like you say are doing sort of sterling work at the moment hopefully that dialogue between the club and the fans can continue um should we go on to some of the questions you're saying we've got in mate? you can do yeah i was just gonna make the, the other point is cool. that we can't forget that Tottenham's in the poorest borough in the capital either and it sort of flies in the face of trying to regenerate the area and you know put schools in place and do all the community work when you know by rights the lifeblood of the team as you say should be the people who are there and if you're pricing out the people on your doorstep then maybe you need to have a look at yourself uh but you know that's a. I'm sure we'll rumble on this conversation as as more things happen and what have you. We'll catch up on it in two months. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, we've got loads of questions. Shall I read them out? Go on then. Uh, the first one we've got. Uh, I'll find a football one first. Uh, here's one from. It's a nasty one. This it's one of those where suffrage choice type things, which I don't always enjoy. Mm. But I'll make you answer it. Uh, Robbie Donnellan, I believe is how you say it. If the footballing gods offer t- Spurs a Premier League title over the next five years on the condition that we sold Kane this summer, would you accept it? I mean, see, this is the thing because it's always uh, it always falls down onto well, do we win more titles if we have Kane in the team? But I'm assuming the way this has been pitched is that we keep Kane and don't win the league and yeah, sell I think Kane that's, that's and win the league. If we read between the lines, yeah. If we read between the lines and take it that way, then, you know, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's it's so unpleasant. I mean, I, 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 I was talking about this not long ago um, and I... I, I honestly don't mean this in the hyperbolic sense for once um that to me harry kane is is actually priceless the only the only circumstance we should yeah. sell harry kane is if we're doing right by him is if he is if he has come to us earnestly and said look guys i love this club but i want to win stuff we're sinking down back into sixth seventh place everybody above us has got too much spending power i, I don't want to go to city i'll go to real or psg but you know, I need to. I, I work my ass off, and I need to win something. I've got to do it. I want to win the Champions League or what have you. I understand selling him in that circumstance to do right by the lad. If he, you know, because you kind of feel Kane's the sort of player. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm, I'm sure we'd be compensated accordingly for that. But if it's a case of like, you know, Kane's happy to stay, and we get offered 200 mil by Man City, no. And, and I know people will say, oh, but 200 mil, we could buy a Cardi, and we could. But 
but that's not you can't guarantee number one you cannot on a on a base level you can't guarantee the return of goals that harry kane gives us you can't guarantee anybody that is going to have the same affinity with the club with the fans that he does so he's just he's absolutely priceless but framing it in the context of this do i want to see spurs win the premier league well yes of course i do however I've waited over 20 years now to see Spurs win anything other than the League Cup. Um, and we haven't. Like, I was a bit bit too young to remember 1991. I wasn't even born. Um, yeah, I was, what, six? Yeah. So, it, like, I, I, you know, I sort of remember a vague, hazy image of my dad being happy, but that's probably <laughs> even something my mind has created itself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Uh, so, to see Spurs win it within the next five years, well, no, because maybe we can keep Kane and win it within the next ten years, because I think that's our trajectory anyway, with yeah, the new I'm ground and everything that's going. So, yeah, no, that was my roundabout way of saying, no, keep Harry Kane, you okay. bastards. Uh, next one's from Ben Foreman. Uh, if you had to replace Pochettino with another manager tomorrow, who would it be and why? No, I, I, mate, I don't even... Where do you even begin with that? I don't know. You know, like we've gone through so many managers. Like, what can you, you know, what Simeone? Because he's sort of similar. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, what? Who else? I don't know. It's a really tough question. I don't think Pochettino's done at the club yet. Um, I think they'll probably they will come a natural breaking point at some stage where he can either decide to stay and go. You know, this is where I'm going to be for the next five to ten years and I think that'll be in a season or two's time or he will leave and he'll go I'm going to try and test me hand elsewhere or alternatively the wheels fall off and we sack him you know because that, that can happen as well yeah yeah uh, have we passed that point now with him he's what, has he been there what four seasons now he's been there longer than Redknapp now hasn't he yeah I mean if if there's some is this the longest somebody's been boss of Tottenham in our lifetime Quite possible, isn't it? That's a good question. That's a very good question. I'll have a look. Anyway. Let's have a think. Uh, I'll pull up the... Uh, it's probably pull... collectively David Pleat over the spread of, <laughs> We've got spread David Pleat to fucking thank for our team at the minute. Yeah, Chubomba and the likes. <laughs> he can't pronounce anybody's names. He thinks his name's okay, no. Dali Ali, but he fucking scoured him. Actually, I believe we have Tim Sherwood to thank for our team at the moment. Oh, we've we? actually got a question here from Ross H. Would you bring back the death penalty for Tim Sherwood? <laughs> I think that's too kind. I would, I'd like keep him in a cell, Fritzel style cell, just without the sex, and feed him very little, and uh, just torture him. I'd feed him videos of just like. Pochettino delivering post-match presses in Spanish. Paulinho highlights from Barcelona. Yeah. Oh God. Hmm. No, he's I... still not good. He's st- he's still no, Paul, not good. Yeah, he's still shit. He, he when he played in that Chelsea game, where it was it Chelsea that they had where he started. Yeah, and he was dog shit. Yeah, got, he's got hooked good. at half time. Hmm. He is not. There's, he's just there's, shitter in a better team. Yeah, yeah, he is. He's not good. I won't stand for it. He isn't. Um, but did you see that Tim Sherwood interview that he did where he sort of, again, su- sucked he, he himself was, up again? Yeah, he, he sort of, you know, self 
aggrandizing I found Harry Kane bullshit, but it's just it's not the case. He got his debut under Redknapp. He played under AVB. You know, like just I I don't know. I don't understand it to a degree. Sherwood gave Kane his first starts and stuff, but it was in a time when but he makes Sol- it sound as if he did that was his first act. As soon as he got given it, Harry Kane starts up front. It wasn't. Well, I, it was I, fucking three or four games at the end of the season. You couldn't. And also, let's let's be real about this. Like, and this is the sort of thing that oddly people aren't talking about. It's very easy to drop a soldado who was as fucked as he <laughs> was when Kane came in. We're not talking about Show didn't make some brave fucking statement by dropping soldado who was maybe maybe had a similar sort of return as say a chadley had back then do you know what i mean an average to fair kind of goal return where you would still probably say he's not scoring enough perhaps but he's still doing a job he didn't drop a soldado like that he dropped a soldado who could barely come on the pitch without bursting into tears the guy was that mentally affected yeah he was broken he was he was absolutely broke. The guy scored a goal and burst into tears. Like he yeah, actually, and I'm, I'm not saying that in a nasty way. But, you know, I'm I still have an means. awful lot of affection for him. Of course, of course. But what I mean is, the guy was, you know, he had personal issues going on. He obviously had, he was just being affected by his form and whatever the chicken and egg is in that kind of scenario. We can only speculate, but. The guy was not in a happy place. It was quite clear to see. Mm. And we had Adebayor, who was, I believe, injured, inconsistent, not really getting on even with Sherwood by that point either. Yeah. Um, and so Harry Kane naturally came in and he he, he, he took the chance with, with both hands. Yeah, of course he did. But isn't that down to him? I don't know. That, that, it just seems to me that even even Pochettino now, and I don't even think he's doing it in that, like, you know, try-hardy, oh, no, it wasn't me way. Pochettino, to me, seems fiercely, fiercely defensive of Harry Kane's own endeavour in that whenever anybody kind of frames it to Pochettino's in, like, you know, you've you've helped develop this player a long way, it, to me, at least, it always seems that Pochettino's always quick to be like, this is on this kid. Like, this guy, he makes himself undroppable to me, you know? Yeah. And he's always kind of maintained that line. And you see people like Inglethorpe have spoken about this in the past. Like, Bankrupt Spurs, I'm sure you all follow him anyway, has got a very good thread where he's picked this whole Sherwood article apart. You know how much you revels in his Sherwood bashing. But he's he's completely just destroyed us in that, like, Inglethorpe and a lot of the other people involved behind the scenes have always been very, very quick to highlight how much it's come from Harry Kane bashing down their doors at the end of it. That sounds a bit dodgy, doesn't it? But still, bashing down their doors at the end of every training, being like, come on, boss, can we go back out and I work, you know, can work on shooting for a bit longer or I can work on my left foot for a bit longer or I can work on my heading. You know, it's the guy, come on, every episode we descend into loving Harry Kane, but he makes it too easy, doesn't he? Yeah, there are no words. Um, the, one interesting tweet I saw about this yesterday was um, that... Um, you remember Roberto, who used to be the social media manager at Tottenham and worked within the club, he had a couple of very interesting tweets about it, um, about the piece. He said that... Um, I'll read out his tweets verbatim because I've just pulled them up now because I don't want to misquote him. He said, just a, just seen the piece and it's funny how things in hindsight are often different to how they uh, actually were. Um, 
you know that that was an under twenty ones team that won the under twenty ones league. I can't uh, smashing most teams comfortably, and you know it, it appeared as if that you know Chris Ramsey was the brains at the time. And he went on to say he's a fraud in my view. I remember a very esteemed ex-manager, director of football and coach who are very pro Spurs actually putting in a complaint about him after one under 21s game because he was unprofessional on the touchline. But I guess just play him seems a good point of view. And somebody <laughs> somebody says to him, I'm guessing that's a pleat. And he goes, I couldn't possibly say. So I imagine, no, it was... So if there's people at the club who thought he was a bell end while he was actually doing well, the stories about how he got into the position he was in and what have you, of uh, the reason why so many people dislike him and and don't ever want him associated with the club ever again, um, and you know he's been a a shit show wherever he's gone since. You know Villa, he helped take them down after saving them by the skin of his teeth one season because uh, they were just shitter teams in the league at that point. And uh, Swindon, he made a, a joke of that as well. He was like an almost weird dictatorial director of football there who kept picking the it's team. Bizarre. Yeah. Bizarre. And he's not been touched since for good reason, I think. And, you know, every sort of six months to a year, we're probably going to get one of these self aggrandizing Sherwood pieces until he's given a League One job or something or a championship club gets desperate enough to bring him in. But other than that, he's, you know, he's a. A wart on the arse of Tottenham's history. He is. Yeah. We've Enough got one, one question from JD JDK on uh, Toby Alderweire all these on sort of just a stalemate over his contract. Do we have any thoughts on that? It seems I mean, my overall thought at the moment is I I get the feeling that, you know, this is a bit of a retelling of the Carl Walker stuff, right? He's kind of in that place now where there's some sort of weird contract stuff going on and he's sort of half injured, half fit, but you also get the feeling that maybe he could have kind of figured in a few more games than he actually has. Um, it just seems to be reaching that conclusion, doesn't it? That I mean, I, I, I personally, I don't feel that something like this is all just going to be about money. I, I feel that there's, so, for example, let me reframe this a, a, a bit better. Like, if we've heard in the past that players like Eric Dyer have had sort of issues with their contract, we know Hugo Lloris has maybe had some issues with his contract. We know that even, I think, Harry Kane has softly sort of aired some stuff about his contract in the past couple of seasons, which he has every right to do. Yeah. I don't think that's a red line for Pochettino to, like, throw his toys out of the pram with a player and say, you know, how dare you ask for more money? Um, no matter what job you're in, if you think you're worth more money, then you've every right to ask for it. Of course. And if Toby Alderweireld is on 80k a week in today's market, yeah, he definitely is worth more money. So I think he could be forgiven for wanting more. So I'm never going to adopt that line of like, oh, this is a disgrace. How dare he ask for more money? But if, from my perspective, at least, I get the idea that, you know, given Pochettino's sort of approach to this stuff, that this is probably more of a issue with Alderweireld intimating that his heart's not really in it anymore, that he wants success now. He's coming towards the end of his career and he wants to win the Champions League or he wants to win the league and probably wants to go and play for City or somebody like that, you know. I, I wouldn't be overly surprised for him to end up at City. 
if they come in this summer and offer us 50 million like they did with Walker, he's I could probably see us that. selling to him. Boy, well, he's only got a year left though, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, that's true. That's the problem. So, so did Van Dyke and he went for, what, 75? Yeah. But I think anywhere between 50 to that sort of money, 50 to 75, I reckon we'd probably sell him. I'd probably see him going to City, maybe to United. Hopefully it'll go to PSG. Hopefully we've kind of created some sort of sweetener there with, you know, Aurea, Mora. Perhaps they're probably thinking they can take somebody like Alderweireld. And I'd, I'd sooner sell if the option was 50 mil to City or 40 mil to PSG. I, I definitely know where I'd rather flog him. Um, but in my perspective, at least, I just it seems like a fairly seems like a fairly toxic union now, and I I, I can't really see it ending other any other way than older world leaving us this summer. To be honest, yeah, that seems about right. Um, I, there could still be you know out of the blue him Maybe. sat there yeah. with his arm Pochettino with his arm around him and stuff. There's still a place for him within the team. But yeah, we said this about Vertonghen a couple of years ago, right? Mm. You know, so. I think with Jan now, he's here for life. I yeah, big time. I, it would hurt me to see him go at this point. He's more important to me. Um, he, uh, well, mate, he's honestly, and I, I'm, I'm genuinely... He has been saying, better. He's recently. the better defender this year. Yeah. He's the better defender. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tender. Mm. I mean, it's... We're we're leaving ourselves in an awkward position because we had this time where, with the flexibility of being able to play Sanchez, Alderweire, or Lamberton, and it was an incredible setup yeah. and team to watch in that shape. But since this injury and such the weirdness with his contract, that seems to have soured, and he's only really played against what Rochdale and stuff. Um, and he had a nightmare as well. Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, I th- the 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 thing that does concern me about it is I, I'm not going to adopt this kind of like oh it doesn't really matter if we say him it's a fucking huge blow the guy is yeah he's a class act he is and as much as I've kind of voiced the kind of oh yeah he hasn't adapted to Wembley that well whatever the the guy's class act Sanchez is brilliant Sanchez for his age is absolutely fantastic I do feel the past few games he's he's maybe starting to show that he has played a few too many games though. Mm. There's a there's a few little kind of errors creeping into his game with a bit of regularity, which is going to come with a, a 21 year old playing in a new league. This thing, Rob Holding is still held up as like this <laughs> promising youngster. The guy's 24 years old now, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, I've got no fears over Sanchez at all. Even Fife as well has been fantastic whenever he stepped in. I quite like him as well, but a lot of people seem to say he's absolute gubbins when he comes on. Oh, was that one Fife? 
Yeah. No, which it's, is, it's which is bizarre. Done, it's always and done I'm, really I'm, well when it's played. Yeah. Even, even, but even people who I don't think are like particularly like mouth breathery type fans or anything, of course, that's, you know, that's the all important opinion, mine. Mm. Uh, um, but I've seen, yeah, a real kind of divided opinion on Fife, but I, I really like him. I How mean, he again like is what, 18, yeah, 19? He's a kid. He's a kid. But he's got all the fundamentals. Which is important part. Yeah. I like him. I've looked like into the Pochettino thing, by the way, and um, he'll have been there four years this year, which is the same as Redknapp and the same as Venables. But other than that, the longest serving before them is Keith Birkinshaw from 1976 to 1984. So four years is the top one. So, if you know, if he's still here next season. Essentially, he's the longest serving Tottenham manager since the mid, the late 70s to mid 80s. Which is El Grande Queso. Which is ridiculous. Um uh, we've got one from Rowan Stewart, Dyer or Lamella, one stays, the other goes to Chelsea. Keep Lamella. Yeah. Like I've uh, how many times can we go over this one? But like <laughs> L- Lamella's already like to me, he's he's showing his worth to the team already. You know, he's he's not starting every game, but when he comes on he's effective and when he starts he's effective as well yeah i'm so much happier having him on the bench having more like look at the options we have for the different types of games we play now it still seems to be and i I think we were saying this like fucking years ago when we still had like tom huddlestone in the middle and we were debating as to who plays palacios or huddlestone you know as our defensive midfield option and even then we were saying why does it have to be either or why are we not approaching this like other big teams do, and see that different players are suitable for different fixtures and different phases of different games. With Lamella, Mora, Ericsson, Ali, even Son, all of these players in this attacking band, they all have their own unique qualities. Why, why do we have to still be forced to choose between any of them? Why not be happy that we have all these players within our squad that when you look to our bench, you think, yeah, there's goals there now from everywhere. Whereas it was only, what, two, three years ago that it was literally, right, let's bring on Chadley and hope he scores. And that was it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's bizarre. We've got one question here from Michael King. I think this is, we've run out of football ones now, just checking. Uh, Fuck football. There's a lot of people who've asked about, sort of, why aren't we just shelling out for Toby? And I think, you know, y'all idea of there being more to it than money is probably the right one there. Um, but, uh, yeah, the one from Michael King is one that actually um, I agree with. Um, the fact that according to uh, Greg's Twitter poll, a quarter of people prefer the chicken bake over the steak bake madness. I saw this and I had exactly the same feeling. I didn't know chicken bake was a thing. Like I knew it existed, but I didn't know people liked it that much. Who's picking that over a steak bake? Mate, I just want to know who's not having an artisan sourdough loaf with avocado mash. Ninety uh, percent of the country, I think, <laughs> is the answer. But no, you know what I'm saying. You, you, have you never have you ever frequented a Greg's? I, uh, I believe I've I've tiptoed into one that every now and again to see By what girls get up to. Yeah. What's your uh, usual order? No. Um. See, mate. The thing is, right since Christmas. Shedding for the wedding and all that. I've not actually eaten any bread, rice, what? pasta, potato, what, no carbs. What else is there in the diet? 
it's so it's high fat, high protein, no sugar, basically or very low sugar. So sugar from like natural sources. So you're so, gonna come out like a fucking stick at this wedding, mate. Come on, behave. It's not. It's not <laughs> yeah, it's only so far it'll go, but you know. Um, but it is. It's it's pretty decent at the moment. I do. Uh, I do. Oh God, I do long for like pizza though. Is thing. that what your honeymoon is just going to be? You scarfing? Yeah, basically. Eat until you're like, sick, like a bulimic. It's, yeah, like I'm going to be eating and eating and eating all the bread, <laughs> all the bread. Like, That's your <laughs> your wedding I'm, night is just you, Charlotte. I've I've ordered well, the, I've yeah, ordered the takeout. <laughs> Sorry, love. <laughs> Not oh, tonight. There's a buffet around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know that Simpsons when uh, <laughs> when Homer like completely exhausts the all you can eat <laughs> the, the, um, the sea place. Yeah. yeah, and then it, when it goes to court and uh, <laughs> the judge is like, and when they told you you can <laughs> you couldn't have any more or you could eat seafood, what did you do? And she's like, we went fishing. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there we go. Um, that be me. But we're actually going to Argentina for for the honeymoon. Oh, so I'm, I'm all the meat. Yeah, mate. I'm I'm gonna come back like Pochettino does after a summer. You know, it's gonna be a summer of well, just your tracksuit not quite zipping. steaks and bread. Oh, mate, I love I love it. You know, he enjoys himself. <laughs> you know, he enjoys himself over the summers. Oh, He's he's blooded eighty percent Malbec by the time he's. It is, isn't it? <laughs> that that fucking Harry Kane article when he was like, I vividly recall after I scored my first hat trick, going into Pochettino's office and he was sat there with a big smile and an even bigger glass of Malbec <laughs> and you're just like, fucking yes, Poch man, <laughs> like. I just I love that idea of him just being like that, you know, like an actual caricature of a like. Argentinian Big <laughs> yeah. Um, oh we've got a couple of pop culture ones. Have you got time to just knock off a few? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we've got one from Nathan Clark. Uh, Fought on Black Panther. Ooh, because people want to hear from a white man about Black Panther. Yeah, I know exactly. <laughs> well, uh... no, do crack on. I mean, it's it's hard, isn't it? Because there's 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 two as we spoke about with this. There's like there's there's two angles to Black Panther whereby you can't like it's the same with the like so say like the Ghostbusters reboot. Yeah. Like it's there's a, there's a clear and obvious like socio political side and context to this film mm-hmm. that means it demands an extra sort of level of credence on a sort of base level my kind of thing is I'm not really that big on the Marvel films. I watch them and I enjoy them and I don't get that deeply. I, by know. a rule, dislike them. I, I, I don't mind them. This is the thing to me, I don't mind. I don't like them as much as Star Wars films. I actively and, dislike Star Wars as well. So that's the, yeah, that's I know, I know you do. And, and I also feel that, like, I think one of my, like, I think as a white man, but um, on that sort of I plane... I think the, uh, the term we use in, in this context is um, colonizer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, on, Jack, yeah. As a colonizer. Okay, as a colonizer. <laughs> um, I, uh, I I do find, look, I, I you know, I'm... I'm I'm 
going to be in trouble here probably but i do find there's this certain level of i and i've spoken to you about it in private of like white liberal who is fawning over a film like black panther who is like you know everything about this film is everything about this film is majestic everything about this film is brilliant i saw people in the audience in traditional african dress and it was so wonderful mate i fucking you know maybe maybe it doesn't happen all the time but i i go to the cinema in london all the time i always see people in traditional dress like all all around in london all the time like don't don't make this such a big thing and don't be so patronizing about it yeah like that's kind of my thing but at the same time yeah i enjoy black panther i thought i thought it was a good film because i actually prefer the sort of the marvel side stories a lot more than i do kind of like the main canon if anything i've actually enjoyed like i like black panther i seem to be the only person that actually kind of liked doctor strange i thought that was all right i liked ant-man um when they do sort of a genre film within that world it's not too bad like you know Ant-Man was essentially a heist film, but they had some odd Marvel bits in and they had to foreshadow this bit and that bit there. I end up watching all of them, even though I don't like them, because my family really likes them, and there's not often we all go to the cinema together. Um, well, and it's such a cultural event as well, whether you like them or not. Yeah. They? That's the thing. Yeah, so I, it is one of those things where um, I do do it with that in mind. Um and there are one or two that I, I don't mind. I, I actually, the one that I liked that nobody else seemed to like was the last Thor film because it was just a, a, a toilet humor comedy. It wasn't it actually was, wasn't a superhero it? film. It was a weird Taika Waititi film with Thor in it. Um, well, you could tell he was just thinking, "How far can I push this?" <laughs> wasn't there, was it, you all, know? there was all sorts of stuff in that that was just shouldn't have been there. Uh, there's that one character he plays in CGI, which is not just comic relief, but actively is there to undermine the film and every sort of serious element of it, uh, which I liked. But um, I adored Black Panther. There's a, there's a really good... Uh, so the Empire podcast, they do these special ones called spoiler specials where they will we'll only tell you to listen to it if you've actually seen the film because they'll talk at length about different bits. Oh, that sounds generally, Yeah, they'll generally talk with somebody from the production as well and they actually have the director on that. Okay. And he's, and he's basically saying it to that effect. He's like, look, fuck it. Like, I wrote this script being like, they're going to scale back. 70 percent of this but they didn't and so i was like fucking jackpot and mm. just kind of went with it so it's i think because that, that second thor film was so shit they had to do something to it it was garbage wasn't it? yeah what was it called thor the dark world or something oh, i don't know one of the worst things i've ever seen in my life and i never wish to see it again no. Um, but what what did you make of Black Panther? Anyway, I loved it. Um, the, for me, the the most interesting part of it was Killmonger, because you know by rights he's he's not wrong. Um, there was one point um, where he was in that fake British museum, um, where the woman says something to him about where the uh, the hammer came from. And he turns around and goes, and where exactly do you think your ancestors got it from? And she had that look yeah. on her face, and I was like, oh, this is this is interesting. I wasn't expecting this. Um, but no, I, th- I really enjoyed it. I think the themes and sort of the way it was done was fantastic. And I've, I've written and spoken about it in the past when I was a kid that the reason I love the bas- basketball and NBA so much is when I was sort of five or six, or uh, when 1997 Space Jam came out, so I'll have been 
five. Yeah, five. When I saw Michael Jordan on the screen for the first time, I think that's the first time I ever saw a black superhero. You know, his arm stretches from half court and dunks on a team of aliens. And I was like, who the fuck is this? What is this that's going on here? Because I've never been exposed or seen anything like it before in my life. And for me, knowing that there's going to be kids now who've seen this and have got this in their life that, you know, when I grew up, I never had or never saw is is fantastic. And I think that you're right, there are two ways to look at it because the third act's pretty gash. Uh, at the end of it, it is just CGI characters kicking shit out of each other and that's what happens at the end of each and every one of these films. Um, but for 90% of it, it's it's so much better. I mean, the, um, the Dora Milaje and, you know, but the fact that it's not just a... It's not just um, inclusive in terms of race, but in gender as well, um, and sort of pushes how sort of matriarchal that society can be and what have yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was fantastic, and we're both people that come from from female-led homes and houses, so it's not as if we're unfamiliar with that. Um, so it's, I think all over the park, it was it was fantastic. I think that Ryan Coogler is just on one of the great directorial tears from first film to where he is now, um, and I can't wait to see where he goes because I think he's he's going to be fantastic, and he he already is, but he's going to get even better. Um, Fru- and- Fruitvale Station for anybody that hasn't seen it is one to yeah, it's outstanding. Watch. Um, yeah. And that's like his first film, yeah. so um, he's still learning what he's doing. I think, yeah, he's going to be fantastic, and just everyone that's in it, the the performances and and stuff, and the jokes that are in it, and the fact that the you know you've got the the CGI bloke making jokes about SoundCloud rap and stuff like that, are <laughs> fantastic, and um, you know the the whole side story with uh, Umbaku and the. The guys in the mountains made me laugh so much, and you know, when he's making monkey noises at Martin Freeman for talking and shit, it's just yeah. it's stuff like that. I didn't expect them to to do. And Killmonger's last line: what, "What's he say? I'd, I'd rather die now. Uh, what? Well, I'd rather be thrown off the ship than to die in chains like my ancestors. Something like that. And it's like that's far more pointed than I ever expected a Marvel film to be. Um, and you know, in this day and age, it's needed as well. So I think it's it's one of those films which is, as you say, is bigger than what it's supposed to be. Um, but it, you know, it's all the better for it. Yeah. Um, Duke Silver has asked us if we've seen Atlanta, which of course well, I've I'm yeah. up to date with the second season, but you've seen the first I, season as well. I have. I didn't even know there was a second. Yeah, season it's like now, four so. episodes in. You catch up. It's been absolutely fantastic sick um but yeah thoughts on atlanta i mean you i banged on about this for like a good year before you caught up with it so you've watched it the first season we've, we've done a big bit on this haven't Have we? before that was basically just like watch it immediately yeah it's just there's nothing else like but it on television it is the best thing on tv for me the th- the thing for me is like is just stick with it because the thing is i i enjoyed i was thinking at first right so this is basically like hip-hop's version of Entourage, right? The first couple of episodes, I was going to be like, okay, it's a fairly kind of like sort of coming-of-age buddy kind of drama that's quite funny. It's got a bit of social commentary to it. Interesting. And then probably about episode... About halfway through episode three from episode four onwards, it goes full fucking just (laughs) batshit Twin Peaks, like 
what the fuck is this? Like, the, like the original storyline doesn't even really matter anymore towards the end of it. It's, yeah. it's, it's hardly anything to do with it. And the whole thing is just a subversive, like, multi-genred, artsy, but massively entertaining kind of... I don't know. Just it, the the gun is pointed in all directions because again, it's not for you know for any of our Brexit contingent who still do listen to this that think it's just this kind of social justice warrior snowflake signalling. The the gun by Glover is turned in all directions. It's turned on everybody. It's turned on himself. It's turned on his peers. It's turned on anything you can imagine. So. Just watch it. And yeah, it anybody can enjoy it. I mean, it's this fucking this amazing. season, uh, because they know what they are and they know that people know what they are, they don't ease you into it like they did first season. So the first episode of this year has one of the great cameos ever by Cat Williams, who's as problematic a character as you can find, but he's <laughs> essentially playing himself, and it's just one of the great turns in a in a you know scene stealing performance because. I don't want to spoil it, but there's an alligator involved in shit like that where they shouldn't <laughs> be. And there's one bit, my, my favourite character, as you know, is um, is Darius Lakeith Stanfield's character. Lakeith Stanfield, by the way, I think is another generational talent. Um, have you seen the the trailer for his new film, The One Way He Works in a Call Centre? No, I haven't at all. I'll send you it afterwards. It, it looks ridiculous. It's it's supposed to be sort of the big sleeper hit of this year, but I'll, I'll send you the link to it afterwards. Um, but just the the one-off lines that his character have have me creasing to the point where I have to pause it while I watch it. Because there's one bit in the opening episode about Florida Man, and yeah. he goes, do you know why all the, uh, the headlines start with Florida Man? Uh, you know, like Florida Man kills six people or shoots unarmed black teenager and instead of it just being like a point he winds it out into this story about there being just one bad guy in florida called florida man who goes around doing all of it and while (laughs) while he um and while he sort of is explaining who florida man is um he there's like a cutscene of Florida man doing all these things in the most <laughs> man of it's genuinely brilliant it, 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 I had to watch that like three times before I could move on um, I like that but it's just the the construct of you know how headlines are made so Florida man 27 does this or whatever he it's just genius um, it's 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 just the it's you know like from the uh from the talk show episode in the first series the show within with, a show uh, yeah it's just that the one guy the guy that wants to transition to being a white guy <laughs> and you see the black guy talking to the police officer and he just walks past that's him officer that's the guy i called them <laughs> like, <it's>, uh, <laughs> yeah this last it's episode good. as well was um was one of the ones where they they just got a little bit of money and they're trying to spend some of it and they're finding it even more even more difficult with money than they were without it because people don't want to take money from them and it's one of those things where you sat there and you go oh shit i know some of this stuff like people holding notes to the light when somebody else has just spent a 20 behind you and they're like oh accept it fine but if you give them the same thing then they'll act differently around you and stuff um is absolutely fantastic. 
Um, but yeah, if you've not seen it, find it because it's it's genuinely a, a work of genius, and uh, I'm not sure there are many shows as good as that on television at present. Watch uh, Watch Gamora as well, then. Mate, from I've a, I've not seen it yet. I've I've heard good things about it, but I've not yet seen it. It's uh, it's it's good. It's good Shall I tell you what I've been watching? That um, it's also good. You know how I do a turn in in things that you wouldn't expect me to watch. Um, oh yeah, is uh, it's not Grace and Frankie, is it, no. or something like that? <laughs> no, it's not. But I've been tempted. <laughs> I, I, I knew it. I, I don't know why. When I saw that, I was like, I bet Baines has had a look at this, oh, thinking mate, you know, like, I might have a go. You know how much I love a shit thing that I shouldn't be watching. But I've been watching yeah. uh, the marvelous Mrs. Meisel on Amazon, and mate, it's fucking class. The really, writing, it's written by the same woman who wrote Gilmore Girls. You know how much of a, a yeah, 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 appreciation I have for that television program. Genuinely, it's about a woman in what was it the forties or fifties, a Jewish woman in New York who husband leaves her and she decides to do stand up. But it's genuinely really, really good. It's really well acted. It's got um, Rachel Brosnahan in, who is uh, the woman in um house of cards that doug was obsessed with um but it's just got it's so well written and and really funny and sort of a really good sort of just piece that shouldn't really exist and only exists because streaming exists but it won loads of awards at the golden globes and i already heard about it because i knew the person who'd written it and from gilmore girls and i was like oh i'm interested in this but it it seems a bit of a strange thing to have done i don't imagine amazon will pick this up or what have you and then it won loads and it's sort of like the banner thing for them now especially with the way transparent's gone after jeffrey tambor's been sacked and what have you so it's a big thing for them and uh it's well worth digging up i think um one that you and your missus can watch together because i think charlotte will like it as well uh, but it is genuinely hilarious um and it's one of those things that is it's fantastic Look at that. Have you got anything? You, uh, you, you not watching anything shit? Because I know you end up watching stuff like uh, what's that that musical one you watched? Where is it? Ex, crazy ex girlfriend or something like that? Uh, yeah, watched the first couple of series of that, and then I just couldn't be asked with the third. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, it was. It was. It was all right. It was. It was okay. But the third series just didn't really grip me. I'm actually watching the Defenders at the moment. What's that? I say that. So you know, you, you, your mate is, you know, the Marvel stuff. You know, oh, the you Netflix like ones. I've, I've got all yeah. them in my list. I've just not had the time to watch them. It's uh, so Defenders is the one that's like all of them when they've all come together, and like this new Netflix Avengers. Avengers. Yeah, isn't there uh, one that's supposed to be really dog shit? Which is the dog shit one? The the fist punch guy. Yeah, Iron Fist. <laughs> that's the um, one. I didn't I like I didn't think it was by any means good. It was definitely the weakest of all of them. But I, I think it's again, it's one of those things where like people over egg how bad it is, in my opinion right. anyway. I don't I don't think it's like as much of Which a war is the crime. one to start with? Is it Jessica Jones the best one or that Luke Cage or what have you? Well, I th- I think the actual the actual uh chronology no, not, is not in chronological order, but as in what's the best one to start with? <sighs> Daredevil's first season was supposed to be good as well, wasn't it? I forgot about it. It was really good. I don't know. They're all really good in their own right. I think, personally speaking, overall, on balance, I enjoyed Luke Cage the most. Okay. And then, But it's between Luke Cage and Jessica Jones for me. Luke Cage probably sealed it because I just like the soundtrack. There's a lot of sort of like old school hip hop on it. So oh, cool. It's kind of, yeah, sort of does it for me. 
put a bit of Wu Tang in there, and I'm I'm there. I'm just looking through um, my uh, Netflix list at the moment, and there's so much shit in there that I haven't seen. Annihilation's on there. I really want to watch that. Um, I can't believe they've not put that yeah. in cinemas. Yeah, it's fucking Alex Garland, man. After he's just done X Machina, like yeah. Apparently, people thought it was going to be too uh, too brainy for audiences, which I, is. I just don't. Yeah, I mean, but he's, he just I saw enough people groaning in fucking Blade Runner. So. But uh, I mean, after how well Arrival did, I thought people would be after the next Arrival, and if you pitched it as that, then people would go and watch it. People stink. Yeah, true. Uh, I tell you what, I did watch on uh, Netflix recently. Having just seen uh, my, you know, continue watching or whatever is that um, bad original Netflix romantic comedy when we first met. <laughs> Which one's that? Uh, it's got the girl from uh, <laughs> my viewing habits. Uh, really, I should there should be a uh, intervention, uh, but it's got the girl from like uh, Baywatch and okay. Uh, Alex. Is, is it good? It's so bad that it is good it is genuinely terrible um it's one of those things where if you've got nothing else to watch and you're sort of just looking for i watched it before bed on a sunday you know when you have yeah, that yeah, sort yeah. of sunday evening just like oh i don't feel like doing anything i want to disengage my brain before the next week starts and i saw it there as like one of the top recommended things on my netflix and i was like fuck it i'll watch it and i, I happily got along with it like just you know giggled along and fucking you know knew what was going to happen from about 10 minutes in um but it's one of those high concept uh rom-coms that i think if you if you're into that sort of thing and you have a uh have a penchant for them then you, you'll be all right it's almost as if it's a bit of a rip-off of um you know uh midnight in paris yeah, 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 yeah. Sort of that sort of time travelly sort of uh, idea. Okay. Which there is, you know, comedy to be had within that. There is one bit. I mean, I, there there was one belly laugh for me, um, but other than that, they were sort of just titters. But it's worth. I tell watching. you a quick one. Have you watched uh, on a very different? Note, have you watched Icarus yet? Uh, yes, the documentary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I like the the documentary itself like it was it was fairly well made it was it was you know it was all right but the thing I just found like astonishing about it is how it's literally like a guy who's gone from like wanting to make a documentary about his own kind of cycling that he's so for anyone that hasn't seen it and for anyone that hasn't heard about it it's basically it's an amateur cyclist dash documentary maker who he does every year he basically does the amateur tour de france and he's pretty decent he comes 15th um but he sees that there's a gap between himself and perhaps the five riders above of him and then between those five and the top 10 a huge gulf and he wants to basically do an experiment on himself as to how much doping can push him up the rankings for the next year so he goes down a path to like to find somebody that can help him dope using lance armstrong's technique however what happens over the course of him just making this documentary has basically changed the world as like is everything that you see today now in terms of like not everything but a lot of what you're seeing at the moment now with the with regard to the olympics with russian doping with doping in sports in general has 
kind of had the everybody sort of knew it was there under the surface but he's almost like knocked the top of the pussy head off of this and fucking let it out into the ether and it's just that journey seeing how it goes from nothing to that i found really pretty incredible pretty amazing um that guy um the russian guy is so gonna end up dead if not dead already (laughs) as well like he's dead yeah he 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 just is yeah yeah watch Uh, it it's really nice it is really really good and it's far more worthy than anything i've suggested to watch I did see the guy. I did find the guy, the main guy, not the Russian guy, the American guy, yeah, or Canadian, whatever it is. I found it really irritating, though. Yeah, it's one of those things where people in documentaries sometimes do come off like that because you spend so much time with them. Yeah. Can we just take two seconds to say "fuck the shape of water," please? Because uh, oh. I haven't, I haven't said it enough in print, so I wanted to say it in a different audio format as well. It's kind of one of those things, you know, like when I think. I th- I, but correct me if I'm wrong, was um, Scorsese's first Oscar, was it for The Departed? Yes. And so I kind of... Like, it's because uh, they didn't give it Goodfellas, didn't they give it Dancers with Wolves that year or something like that? Something like that. And I mean, Departed was a good film, but it wasn't it was Scorsese's Scorsese pastiche. Yeah. So it's almost like... I, I, I do wonder if with this, they're just giving... Guillermo del Toro an Oscar. Yeah, it's their turn. Same with Alice and Janney as well, because all she did in that film was be Alice and Janney. There was nothing remarkable yeah. about her performance. It was just her being her in a role written specifically for her to be her, um, which I really think- pissed me off because I thought, um, was it Laurie Metcalf who was in Lady Bird was 10 times yeah. the actress? That bit where she drives around the airport absolutely fucking killed me. Sad, isn't it, man? It's really, such a great really film. Greta Werwig should have won Best Director for me. Um, just because I thought for that to be her directorial debut, the strength was in the directing, whereas the strength in Get Out was in the writing. Um, yeah, that's where it should have been. Get Out was my best picture nominee. I was really annoyed that it was King Shape of Water because she'll she'll get there, Gerwig. Yeah, um, sh- uh, Shape. I mean, Shape of Water for me is like the thing is, you know, like. I didn't. I didn't think Shape of Water was a bad film. I thought there was decent imagination there, and I thought it was like an all right adults fairy tale. But that's it. It was there was no depth to it. And as much as people say, "Oh no, it shows these stories about margin," it's a you know, it's a metaphor for marginalized people in society. Well, you've got actual fucking films about marginalized <laughs> people in society. Call me by your name, or Get Out, or even fucking Lady Bird. Yeah. You know, so like. Let's let's you know. It, it, are we in that sadder place whereby people find it easier to fucking empathise with a giant lizard man with a dick that comes out from behind a fucking shell that's in his lap, <laughs> rather than like actually marginalised people? Because like, come on, that can't be the reason something wins a fucking Oscar. Like, if that like. You know, just it's one of those films where I think that stupid people think it's smarter than it is. I know that sounds very elitist, but sometimes <laughs> thick people think things are smarter When's than that they ever actually. Stopped are. you before me? <laughs> no, you know when you call me a snob, sometimes just remind me yeah. of when I say things like this. But it is it's a it's a smart film for thick people um, yeah. because the the themes and the sort of the the points it wants to make and so heavily layered on and gone over and telegraphed 
that there's no subtlety to that film at all. A, a, no, a, no, a no, fishman no, fucks a deaf woman, and I get that that's you know progress. <laughs> If that's what we want to call bestiality, and she's got like a, a you know a, a gay neighbor and this kind of <laughs> stuff, gay that, like you know, it's like it's it's no, you it's, know, it was. It's not about. It's not. It's there's not. More, there's it's more. Just not. There's more nuance in, in one scene of either Get Out or Lady Bird, and there's more intelligence and thought and heart in those films than the fish fucking film, uh, which I. I just didn't get on board with. I think because I was already so won over by Get Out and Lady Bird, and I'd seen them before. And to be honest, the the premise of The Shape of Water fucked me off because there's not. I don't want to watch the the fish sex film, but because I'd seen every other Best Picture film and sort of I had a day or two before the Oscars, and I stay up and watch them every year like a sad act. I was like, for the sake of complete is as um, I'll watch it just on the off chance that it wins me over, but it just annoyed me further that people liked it as much as they did right i annoyed Fuck you as well on. by uh what did i what did i refer to uh the uh paul thomas you said film? phantom thread phantom Fred. daniel day lewis does a funny voice and a bit of sewing <laughs> you fucking asshole it's a brilliant film <laughs> you texted me that back about four times as well since uh, just I did, no it was about i, I simmered on it for about <laughs> half hour and then i started pissing myself and then i think sent it back to you just being like you fucking asshole <laughs> with the no like, it's a it's a really good film um, yeah. it's not the best paul thomas anderson film ever it's not the greatest daniel day lewis film ever it's certainly a better film than the shape of water but uh I think I was just I was kicking off about the shape of water winning. I think at that point he was like, "Oh, maybe Phantom Thread should have won." And I was like, "I was in the mood no. by that point." <laughs> no. <laughs> right. Well, I hope you've uh, enjoyed the episode, you jackals. You just can't get enough content, can you? But we probably, I mean, I say, but yeah, we we will try and do them with more regularity towards the end of the season. We'll be back uh, before the FA Cup final. It's interesting now. Um, Oh, we win the FA Cup. Just, just quickly, just quickly, yeah, yeah. will we win the FA Cup? Mm. Will we win it? Yeah. Uh, yes. Will we finish in the top four? Yes. Let's fucking have it then. Come on, you Spurs. Um, you know all the other bits. Listen to us, follow us on Twitter. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs>we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns